Hi, everyone. This is Alex West, one of the new co-hosts of The Pulse Podcast by Wharton Digital Health. Today's guest is Stephen Smith. Stephen is the founder and CEO of NoCD, a digital health company delivering high-quality virtual care for patients with obsessive-compulsive disorder. NoCD performs hundreds of thousands of virtual therapy sessions annually and has established a community-driven model that connects patients around the world to peers and licensed therapists. Last year, NoCD raised a $33 million Series B round of funding led by F Prime Capital and received their initial backing from Seven Wire Ventures. In this episode, I spoke with Stephen about his journey to starting NoCD and how the company was born out of his own experience. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Steven, thank you for joining me on the Pulse Podcast. How are you? Thanks, Alex, for having me. Doing well. Excited to be here and excited to talk a little bit about what we're doing at NoCD. We have a tradition of asking our guests this icebreaker. What did you want to be when you grew up? Uh, great question. It depends at what stage in life. I wanted to be a doctor for a while. And you know, when I was going through college, I realized that you know, I like healthcare, but I couldn't really... Uh, stomach some of the things that that doctors typically have to do so my my wife she's a, a nurse and she always makes fun of me for that that was the most recent aspiration prior to taking a step towards entrepreneurship before that you know when i was really younger like i i loved watching houses get built so i was i was curious about being involved in in the process and in, in building homes and buildings so it's changed over the time but I, I really enjoy having the opportunity to to be an entrepreneur specifically in the healthcare space I think there are a lot of us in the non-clinical healthcare space that can empathize with a once upon a time <laughs> aspiration <laughs> to be a clinician. Exactly. Exactly. I have a lot of respect for clinicians, especially given you know the hours, the, the work, the impact they make on people's lives and feel fortunate to be able to work alongside them. Tell me about your path to starting NoCD. So my path to starting NoCD was very personal. You know, I didn't have... A, a typical path to starting a company where I was, you know, in the framework of wanting to start a business and then was kind of parsing through, you know, ideas. And it, it kind of happened at a point in my life where I was in school. Like I was, I wasn't really looking to start a business and and I didn't have that background previously in starting businesses. And so I just was really focused on solving a problem that I personally faced. And that's obsessive compulsive disorder, OCD. So OCD is very misunderstood. It's a condition that affects about one in 40 people globally. It's crippling in nature. It's ranked by the World Health Organization as a top 10 most disabling condition. And sadly, when untreated, it causes people to be 10 times more likely to die by suicide. But yet the connotation behind OCD in society today is off. So despite the severity and prevalence, you know, people view it as a joke. And it's not out of malice. It's really just out of misunderstanding there's a, an identification issue that stems as a result. And that's personally what I faced where I had a severe onset of OCD. It manifests kind of similar to PTSD where PTSD is intrusive thoughts about the past. OCD is intrusive thoughts about the future. And the fears are typically recurring and they're taboo in nature. They are what we call ego dystonic. They violate the person's core values and character. And they could be violent, sexual, religious, relationship-based, existential, very different from the pop culture definition. When I started having these fears, I really didn't know what to do. I went to see a provider in my area who was a psychologist by training, PhD, very, very strong background. And I thought this person could help me out. And they told me for every time you have a thought, 
I want you to take a rubber band. I want you to snap it across your wrist. So I'm in college. I'm, I didn't know much better. I was, I was saying, okay, this is advice from a professional. I'll do just that. So I started to snap a rubber band on my wrist and it ended up getting worse. And in retrospect, it's because that was treatment that really was not only was ineffective, but also was harmful. And so I saw another provider then when I got worse and they told me, I want you to imagine a train running through your head. And every time you see the train car go by, I want you to take a thought and place it in it. And then I want you to watch that train just go on by and until it's, it's no longer in your head. And it was kind of strange advice, but I thought, well, I'll just go ahead and do that and started doing that process and got worse again. Again, that's treatment that I learned in retrospect. It's not only ineffective, but also harmful. And so I started to get worse to the point where I was becoming depressed. And I uh, was, you know, at a point where I saw a provider and they said, you know, I think your family might be part of the issue. You should move away from them. So I packed my bags, went down to school. And um, I thought maybe if I can just be here in the summer, I could train for football. I was playing football at a small school down in Texas and I could, you know, manage my life. And got even worse and developed more severe depression. Eventually the depression was so bad where I couldn't even do anything um, because, you know, I was like struggling to function because I had all these intrusive thoughts, didn't know what to do. And I saw my life just kind of go into free fall. So then I went to see another provider. They misdiagnosed me again. They said, you have depression. Let's treat this. Let's, let's focus on this as the presenting issue. So I started to treat the depression and it didn't really do much because the underlying cause, the OCD, which I learned you know, in the future, um, it wasn't, it wasn't addressed. And so at that point I became fully housebound, right? I had to stop going to school. I stopped playing football. I pretty much was disabled, right? Like most people with OC when they go untreated and, you know, I didn't know what to do. And so because the thoughts were so embarrassing, I didn't feel comfortable describing them to people. I just, I'd feel comfortable describing the symptoms, but not really what was going on. But into Google, I would search about what was really going on because I felt like if I could find answers for these, you know, fears, I could make them go away. So I started to search more and more. And in that process, I stumbled upon a group of other people out that were going through the same thing as me. And they were talking about it on a Reddit forum. And in that process, I was reading their answers. And I'm like, wait a second, that's exactly what I'm going through. Like, I had no idea that this had a name and it was a specific subtype of OCD. And so I started searching more. I'm like, well, if this is what it is, then you know, there's finally an answer. Like Maybe I can figure out what to do. And in that research, I found that it's, you know, again, it's prevalent, it's severe, but it can also be very managed if, if you can get access to this specialty type of therapy called exposure and response prevention. So I was like, well, maybe I can go see a specialist in ERP and I can go and get a proper diagnosis. And then potentially after that, learn to regain my life. And it's a, like I learned it was a chronic condition, so you can't cure it, but you can manage it. So in that process, I realized that there was one provider in my area. She was cash pay. She charged $350 out of pocket per session. She had a seven month wait list. And so the only chance to get better was to see this therapist that was pretty much inaccessible. So I had to wait in the wait list. I fortunately, after a certain period of time, a family a member covered the cost of my care. I was able to get to the therapist. She diagnosed me and started me on ERP therapy. And that's kind of where I ran into a third issue, which is despite the chronic nature of OCD, you often only see a therapist for one hour a week. And then between sessions, you're pretty much on your own. And in that period of time, like you're really trying to manage, right? But it's hard. Like there's, that's when your, your worst episodes occur. And so, um, nonetheless was having to manage through that. And eventually because ERP is so effective, I got better. I learned to manage the condition I regained my life. I went back to school, a small school in Southern California called Pomona college. And, you know, at that point was able to finish up my degree. I, I finished up playing football and, you know, t towards the end of my college 
experience, I was looking back thinking, this is a condition that affects one in 40 people globally, right? It doesn't, it, it affects everyone. I mean, it, no matter who you are, it doesn't, it doesn't matter, right? And it can be effectively managed if people get access to this ERP therapy, exposure response prevention therapy. But yet it's extremely difficult to get identified properly and then to actually get treatment from an ERP specialist given the shortages and, and some of the barriers that come along with it. I'm like, well, what if you change that? So, cause it's not really a clinical issue, it's an operational issue, right? And in that process, I'm like, well, if you could better identify people and manage them um, online, you probably could solve this issue because people feel more comfortable really talking about what they're going through online in, in more private settings. And then you could really bring that quote unquote ERP clinic to them in a way where people can do face-to-face -face sessions with a licensed therapist specializes in OCD and ERP. And then between sessions, they can get support in that same platform. And so that was my um, vision from the beginning. And that epiphany was the, was the catalyst for starting OCD. And so today, you know, we, we were fortunate. We've been able to have an incredible team of people who worked day and night over the last several years to solve this problem. And we have 105 million commercial lives under coverage today. So we've been able to bring insurance reimbursement to ERP specialty care. So people, they could use their insurance to cover the sessions with the licensed therapist that specializes in OCD and ERP. We do hundreds of thousands of treatment sessions a year. We um, have found a way to more efficiently treat this population where as opposed to needing 25 hours on average of clinical time to, to see significant results, we've been able to show on average, it could be about 14 hours. We've been able to reduce the time and that helps us, you know, reach more people in need. And also we developed, I think, you know, and this is a testament to our team, a community of patients online that have obsessive compulsive disorder who are, you know, in their usually initial phases in their journey, learning about what's going on. So in that process where people go and try to find answers, we're able to kind of meet them in that journey, give them the answers that they need, give them the connections to other folks like them who in the community, and then encourage them in a positive way to find access to evidence-based treatment. And the problem is before an OCD, it would take between 14 to 17 years for people with OCD on average to access effective care. And because of that challenge, you know, a lot of people sadly die by suicide, right? People with OCD are 10 times more likely to die by suicide when untreated, as mentioned. And also um, people develop different, you know, substance use disorders where we're able to intervene early on, identify people properly in an environment where they feel most comfortable, bring treatment to them, meeting them in their journey, and then get them better more efficiently. And in that process now, it's covered by insurance. And we're going to continuously look to partner with more and more payers and make this treatment more and more accessible. So that's the story about NoCD. You know, we're, we're excited to fulfill our mission and global suffering caused by OCD. And yeah, I, again, really appreciate Alex, you having me on this podcast today. Thank you so much for sharing that story. You called out how common these conditions are. And thinking about the severe mental illness community more broadly, where does the population of patients specifically with obsessive compulsive disorder fit in? And how are you finding that these conditions are interacting in your patient population? Great question. So, you know, I, I would say most people with OCD also have other conditions, right? So a lot of folks that we treat have anxiety, depression, stress, it's usually a result of OCD going untreated. You have some folks who have trauma, right? You have some folks who have other types of comorbidities like trichotillomania, body dysmorphic disorder, et cetera. And they all kind of intermix, but usually people define themselves as, as by the condition that is bothering them the most. 
So for example, if people say, you know, I have these intrusive thoughts, then they're, they can't, I can't get them out of my head. They're causing me crippling anxiety. I want them to stop. That's the problem. OCD it's causing all these other issues. And so if you treat the root problem, you oftentimes can treat the whole person. So that's our thesis with, with no CD. I mean, why we're focusing on this specific community. That's why our model is called community driven therapy. This community, the OCD community in the SMI population, the 20% of the behavioral health market that typically drives 80% of the cost due to severity. In many cases, this OCD community is considered the most treatable community in the SMI market, given ERP's efficacy for it. And so if you think about that, we're focusing deeply on that treatable cohort so we can make a big impact, not only for our payer partners, but also for the members and most importantly for the members that we serve. That's really interesting. One of the challenges you called out in your own journey was getting that initial OCD diagnosis. I I certainly see if you were a patient who's been diagnosed, why no CD would be such a great tool. But how do you find those patients who need no CDs help, but haven't received that diagnosis yet? We find those patients by creating content online, both we call it member generated content, content that is generated from people with OCD in our community, as well as from key opinion leader content. That content sits online and folks who are searching their specific thoughts and their specific long tail search queries in Google, they then find content that matches that search. Because we have been able to accumulate considerable data in this community, we can identify the right types of content that people who are searching online need. And so they find us in that process usually. Also, we have other channels where we run awareness, you work with different influencers, but we find people who are, we call early on their journey, not even OCD aware, we call them OCD unaware. We find those people through search typically. So creating a kind of a new front door to the, call it the, the, the SMI ecosystem. These are sometimes the most, not only severe populations, but they're also some of the most stigmatized, right? So people don't raise their hand in a t- traditional healthcare setting and say, you know, I want to get treatment for this crippling thought about what if I potentially hurt my child? People don't say that because they're afraid of the consequences. But for, through Google, they're actually much more likely to search that because they know there's a sense of confidentiality. And so what we're doing is we're creating that new front door. We've proven that with this, with OCD community, and it's allowing us to exponentially serve the population. In addition to that online digital front door for patients who may not know that what they're suffering from today is obsessive compulsive disorder, NoCD partners with a range of other healthcare stakeholders. Can you tell me a little bit more about those partnerships? Sure. So we partner with payers health plans, managed behavioral health organizations who are looking to serve their communities that they, that they manage. And we partner as a provider. So we have our own network of licensed therapists that specialize in ERP. We do all the training and supervision for those therapists so we can guarantee the quality. We serve patients online from our different payer partner populations. That's allowing us to grow. And we typically make our payer partnerships in specific regions of the country where we have our online community growing pretty quickly. Um, the online community is also fostered by our commitment to innovating in the future and, and augmenting the research process. So we help do, for example, clinical trial recruitment that will allow us to more quickly build our community in specific markets. And that's just because you know we know that if we can help with identifying folks for research who might not, for example, fit the ERP treatment model that we have, given that they've maybe failed treatment interventions in the past, and they're not able to do the treatment for, for whatever reason, we still can give them some hope too. 
that's the model. We work with different payers. We also, in, in an adjacent part of our business, work with different life science researchers. And we serve you know, our, our provider network too. We, we help train, supervise, and, and we've kind of connected the dots and it all connects, it connects inside of our community of people with OCD. No CD, of course, was founded in, in your personal journey to receiving the care that you needed. But NoCD has remained laser focused on obsessive compulsive disorder rather than branching out to other conditions today. What makes that such a strong competitive position for NoCD? Sure. So we um, we're focused on the OCD community. So we serve people with OCD with body focused repetitive behaviors, tick disorder, hoarding disorder. When people have comorbid anxiety, depression, stress, we serve them as well. So we kind of serve a lot of different conditions, but we serve the OCD community, meaning people define themselves as having OCD and we serve that cohort because that cohort is treated with a very specific intervention called exposure and response prevention therapy, ERP. And so we have this ERP specialty network that's national as well as international. And we know that if we can get people from this community to our our network of, of providers and also our technology that blends between each session, we can make significant impacts in their life and regain hope for them, right? So that's that's why we're focused here. We've been laser focused on this because what we're doing is working really well and there are a lot more people to help. So it's as simple as that where the outcomes are very strong and there are so many more people in the population today who are needing this care. I mean, you think about it, it's 180 million people globally right now. It's, you know, eight and a half million Americans, half of them are considered disabled because of this, but they don't have to be disabled. They simply got access to the first line evidence-based treatment, given its efficacy, ERP, their lives can be completely changed. If you think about that, then their family's lives are going to be changed too, right? So it's actually a very large impact in society that we can make just by being focused and, and doing one thing exceptionally well. And our team rallies behind that mission. A lot of us have OCD or related conditions. Some of us have family members with it. Some of us have deep experiences in tech and have seen this problem emerge and have been passionate from seeing the impact they're making in people's lives. So it, it's really created an opportunity for us. And now we're the world's largest community of, of patients with OCD, the largest network of ERP specialists in the world. And, and we're just growing deeper and deeper in this vertical. Let's pivot the business side of the house. Can you tell me about NoCD's business model? How are you generating revenue today? Sure. So we partner with different payers, as mentioned, as a provider. So we get paid either on the session or per patient via case rate. We pay our providers too per session. So the model works well. And with the volume that we're doing, we can then scale and, and afford to reach more members. You've talked about how costly of a population your patients can be. And certainly it is the trend now for specialty companies to pivot towards value-based care and taking on risk. Is that something NoCD is doing or thinking about doing in the future? We are in the process of taking on risk and, and building a model that can do that. It's something that we are very bullish about for the future. And the reason why is we think that the future for value-based care in behavioral health starts with serving OCD. The population when untreated is very severe. It's a pretty prevalent population, right? One in 40 people, but yet it's very manageable. So if you can get this population that is severe when untreated is pretty prevalent, better, you can make a very large cost savings impact for your payer partners. And you also can make, more importantly, a bigger clinical impact in your population's life long-term, right? Those three variables make this a great place to build the future of value-based care in behavioral health. 
And so because of our outcomes, right, we're now beginning to show that people are getting better and they're staying healthy. We've done some actual research too, which we find is pretty interesting, which is for every 1 million person population or commercial population, that is, there's $100 million lost in behavioral health costs alone to untreated OCD, right? And so what we've done is basically said, look, we're going to identify people. We're going to get them to an outpatient ERP therapist faster. We're going to get them better at the outpatient level, help them stay healthy. Then they don't even need to get to as much treatment. They become their own therapist. They're self-managing, right? And then they can make the most out of their, out of their life and they can have happiness that they deserve. And so that's the, the framework that we look at as a business. Do good to do well. One challenge of moving to risk, especially for specialty care companies, can be the difficulty in attributing those lower costs to the actions taken specifically by a specialist or specialty group like NoCD. How do you think through this issue as you consider moving to risk-based models? On the medical side, there are a lot of different variables that can impact the cost of care. On the behavioral health side, if you're just looking at behavioral health utilization, like kind of as described before, there's there's usually a root cause for why someone's unhealthy. If you address the root cause, you sometimes can address the whole person. In the OCD vertical, that's very much the case, right? So if you treat OCD as a root problem, you oftentimes see anxiety, depression, stress go away significantly as well, right? And you sometimes then have people have transformations in their life that they never thought were possible. And so the point is, because it's the, the outcomes are so clear by treating the root cause, you could show you know, I have also, as a result, reduced utilization in the behavioral health system much more cleanly, right? So there's much clearer attribution in behavioral health for that reason. And so what I think is possibly going to happen here in the future is that companies are going to take risk on behavioral health utilization in the behavioral health market. Even though there's more costs associated with the medical side, it's harder to attribute, but it's very easy to attribute here in populations like ours, in my opinion. That's really interesting. So it, it sounds like because OCD is serving as this underlying condition driving all of these other factors, risk-based models are maybe better suited to OCD because of the way they are driving everything else going on with these patients. Exactly. Exactly. You called out in describing NoCD the virtual communities and the virtual care. And NoCD today is delivering care uh, 100% virtually. This ties to a broader trend we saw during the COVID-19 pandemic where providers across the country immediately took up telehealth. Over time, those numbers have declined, but behavioral health has remained more virtual than other specialty areas. I would love to hear more about why you've made the decision for NoCD to be virtual, and do you expect at some point to have more of an in-person offering alongside that? For some populations in behavioral health, virtual therapy in many cases can be even more effective virtually than it can be in person. We would consider a behavioral therapy like ERP sometimes more effective virtually than in person. Um, and the reason for it is we can actually deliver the treatment in the environments where people are often most triggered. So kind of like the, the part of my story, which I talked about before, which stands out for most people, you know, you're in your by yourself between sessions. That's oftentimes when you need help the most. The way ERP works is you purposely trigger the fears that, that are bothering you. And then instead of doing the compulsive action, like they try to make them go away, which is ultimately making them worse over time, you learn to stop doing that compulsive action. You learn to accept the uncertainty behind the fear. 
And when you do that, eventually, because you're no longer doing the compulsive action, the fear loses meaning and eventually dissipates and just happens less frequently and causes you less anxiety and you stop caring about it as much. And so help people purposely trigger that fear in the environments where it, it oftentimes occurs between sessions, then you can actually teach them how to respond to it more effectively in those moments. So someone, for example, when they're at the grocery store, they actually know how to respond to the fear of what if that person that's walking by actually harms me? Then they would if they were doing it in a doctor's office or a, th- a therapist's office, right? It just, it's, it's much more easily to immerse people into these fears virtually with the therapist right there alongside them via face-to-face Zoom. That's kind of the whole thesis is it's, there's some therapies that are more effectively delivered virtually. ERP is one of them for a lot of people, I should say. We've seen that to be the case too. We've been able to study outcomes for thousands and thousands of people. And it's, it's directly shown that. That's really interesting. I'd like to talk a little bit more about your provider population. You mentioned the network of providers that NoCD works with. We are currently in the midst of a historic shortage of healthcare professionals in the workforce. And this, of course, extends to the behavioral health space as well. How is NoCD addressing this challenge? It's um, definitely something that every behavioral health company is seeing today, right? especially the uh, companies that leverage therapists. In our opinion, the therapists are going to go to the populations that one, are the most severe when untreated, and second, the most manageable when people can access evidence-based care. In our opinion, OCG is one of those verticals, right? One of those communities that people can actually you know, come in, they can make a competitive wage, but most importantly, they can actually make a big impact quickly on people's lives. So people come in knowing that there's a great package available for them, but they stay knowing that they're transforming people's lives every single day. And they can actually see that, right? They can see the impact they're making and they can see the efficacy of the treatment. And so what we found at NoCD is we've been able to scale our network, but also retain a lot of therapists for that specific reason who have gone live with our services. You're going to see probably therapist cohorts migrate to more severe, but yet manageable behavioral health populations, you're going to see ancillary providers start to really serve those lower to mid-acuity populations. And then you're going to have a model that actually can fit the scale globally of this mental health crisis that's going on. So the point is, is I, I think this mental health crisis will be solved eventually, right? It'll be solved. It might take 10 years, but it will definitely be solved given some of the models that are being created right now. And you can see the outcome. So it's, um, it's just going to take some time, but there's a lot of hope out there for people given, given what's, what's going on in the market. You mentioned reaching patients globally at NoCD. I would love to hear your thoughts on when it comes to delivering care, identifying the right patients, and of course, recruiting providers globally. What does that international network look like today for NoCD? And how do you think about that? relative to the domestic market? Um, well, so there's there's a lot of folks that need to help, right? And because we have an online front door, we naturally reach people all over the world. Growing our network for us has been a really fun process. It's, it's, it's been challenging at times, but like we've learned a lot in it. And so different countries have different regulations, have different compliance standards for technology that also varies. So it's a very complex endeavor. But you know, we've kind of go one by one and we're focusing on different sizes of the population. We're strategically looking to build our network in, in different countries. But, you know, I, I think our premise is like, first, let's go really deep here into the U.S. We know some folks that are coming from us from all over the world. They're able to see providers in our network, but it is really a 
complex compliance you know endeavor i would say so it's going to take companies quite some time but once we kind of all figure it out right and, and just we have the time to do it we're gonna we're gonna solve this problem globally thank you for sharing that you recently raised a new round of funding last fall what is the goal for this next phase of no cds growth right now we're we're focused on accelerating our growth to serve the OCD community and to really build our community-driven model end-to-end where people can come into our community, they can learn about OCD, they can connect with others like them who understand them. And they also can then access in the same exact place, a licensed therapist that specializes in OCD and ERP and in fact is also covered by their insurance, right? And we are looping in additional services. We made the announcement last month that we're looping in telepsychiatric services for people that might need medication alongside their ERP therapy, and that's to simply help manage some of our more severe members. We're also um, launching what we call no city intensive therapy. So it's a more intensive service for some of our more severe members that have we've shown that with the pandemic that you know intensive therapy can also effectively be delivered in an online setting. And um, we're we're just you know heads down operationally right now serving members. We do have a pretty big initiative right now called the No OCD campaign, K N O W O C D. And we're looking to kind of redefine the condition. There's plenty of awareness for the term OCD. Everyone recognizes the term, but very rarely is it actually understood. So our goal is to use the kind of awareness that already exists for the term OCD and the recognition it has, but to also then flip the meaning, right? So we're running campaigns to do that. So we'll know we've solved this problem when one, people everywhere not only recognize OCD, they understand it as well. Two, when anyone can access you know, licensed therapist that specializes in, in ERP, no matter where they live or how much money they make. Like that's, that's really our goal. And so we're focused on um, using the capital to, to, to reach that endpoint. Since we are an MBA run podcast, we do ask what career advice to MBAs and other graduate students interested in this space would you share? You know, we have many folks in our team today who, who have gone through the MBA process and they've shared this feedback with me and it's, they've learned a ton. They've been able to build their network they have so many more tools and skill sets after that program. And, you know, they, they can then put those skills to use in a really positive way. If there's an opportunity to, to, to start your own business, to join an early stage business, um, even to join a later stage business, but just to operate and learn, you know, go ahead and, and, and I would, I would take that step. I think, you know, being a part of a business that's, that's being built though, is invaluable experience. Now there's many different types of opportunities that can be leveraged after an MBA program, but it's just amazing how much we've learned. And there are learnings that are, you know, intellectually stimulating, right? That, that you're solving real complex problems, you have to think for them. There are also learnings that are, I would say, uh, emotionally stimulating, right? Like you're having to learn how to manage complex situations that really require you to develop your EQ, right? And so there's a tandem of both, which make it a really exciting you know, opportunity. And so I've, I, that's what's been, you know, really interesting to me personally, when, when building you no know, CD alongside our team is that we go through so many unpredictable things. And, you know, you just learn how to problem solve, but then you also learn how to help people manage their emotions, help them problem solve, right? It's, it's, it's a wholesome experience. Related to this topic is no CD hiring MBAs. And what sorts of skills and backgrounds are you looking for when you are hiring new talent? So we, we are hiring MBAs. We are looking for folks all the time who are interested in the company, interested in the mission that we're on. Um, when we look for talent, 
there's a variety of things that we look for, but I would say the first is people who work with a sense of urgency, right? Like we're trying to, to solve a very big problem and we're trying to solve it quickly. There's short-term, midterm and long-term things that we do, right? And so we actually go and we try to, to learn something new every day and we try to scale and, and grow as a result and make progress towards our short-term, midterm and long-term goals. So working with a sense of urgency is super key. And it's really exciting working alongside someone who has a sense of urgency. Like we have so many people today who have a sense of urgency and they just made this process you know, easier, right? Because then you know, like, okay, yeah, I can rely on them. The second thing that we look for is people who really embrace this, this term egoless questioning. We're always going to ask questions, right? We're going to try to understand why something happened. And we're going to try to make sure that we can learn and we expect that not only from people in managerial positions at NOC, but also from their direct report. It's a symbiotic relationship in that way. And so we look for people who are consistently challenging the status quo in a positive way that helps the whole group learn, right? We're looking for independent thinkers in that, in that regard. The third thing we look for is people who are owners that are willing to take ownership in both times that are really successful and also times that could be a learning experience, right? Like we want people who are going to have the autonomy to lead in the direction that they see best fit. Um, and then the, the final thing that we look for, and I think this is probably the most important thing out of all the, the, the list is we look for people who are, we call member first. There are many different stakeholders in healthcare. There are people who are focused on payers from providers on different pharma organizations, right? And those are all extremely important, but the goal of all those organizations is to really serve people just like us. Like we're a provider organization. Our goal is to serve people. So then the day, like we're all in healthcare, not only to, to do well and to grow our careers, but to help people. And so that's a really important factor at our company, right? So we look for people who are member first, who want to do whatever they can to offer our members an A plus experience from the time that they're identified to the time that they're better. Steven, thank you so much for joining me on the Pulse podcast today. I really appreciate your time. Thanks, Alex.